Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Johnji. Johnji is a local to Boston running apparel company dedicated to exploring, connecting, and giving back through running. Inspired by travel, informed by function, and built for adventure, Johnji makes running essentials to equip you wherever you run or roam. The company was founded on the core belief that water is a human right and donates 2% of their sales to supporting clean water organizations around the world. I've known the two co-founders of Johnji for over five years, and it's been a privilege to see them grow and increase the level at which they've been able to give back to the running community and to the world in general. Welcome back. I have Ben Rosario joining me for round two of the podcast. Ben was actually guest number one um, and and has the honor of being, I think, 105 as well. So, Ben, thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time to chat today. Thanks for having me. Yes, I remember that podcast. I think we were in a, a hotel in Flagstaff using maybe um, one of the uh, sort of dining rooms, I guess, that they had in there. And uh, you were doing it for the first time, but I, th- I thought it went great. So hopefully we'll we'll have some fun again today. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I, I just loved how that conversation went. We were sitting in the, in the hotel there and um, we were talking about your team uh, and you're like, yeah, everybody's always up for interviews and media and podcasts and whatnot. And I was like, podcasts, you say? I've got two mics in my bag <laughs> and, <laughs> and 10 minutes later we were recording a podcast. So um, thanks for always for your flexibility and, and you know, being so open to uh, sharing the experience. So before we dive too far in, um, big question is who is Ben? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember if you asked me that the first time. I have listened to some of your podcasts and I should have been prepared for this because I know you do this <laughs> now. Uh, you know, man, I, I just, I just, um, I just try to do things that I love and do them as, as well as I possibly can. I've, I've never been a, a person who's particularly great at, at things that I don't enjoy. Uh, I don't, um, you know, I wasn't the best student in the world. I got A's in the classes I liked and C's are worse than the classes <laughs> I didn't, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much as simple as that. When I find something I like, I really get after it. That's awesome. So we were chatting today about some big news in the industry. Uh, your, uh, Hoka Northern Arizona elite team just signed a four year deal, uh, with Hoka and as as we were talking about before we got started, you said, do you think this is a really good deal for the industry because the groups are the best model going? Uh, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of groups popping up. Um, there's a new, you know, a, a newly named group in your own town mm-hmm. um, out in Flagstaff now um, with the support of Under Armour, there are Adidas teams, there are, you know, other teams that are being supported in big ways by some of these shoe brands. So, what I let's kick it off with with first, why do you think that the groups are the best model? Yeah, I think I did tell you that before we started that you know I'm biased obviously, but I but I but I'm educated in this opinion, uh, having been <laughs> in, in in this uh, industry a long time, and I think that they're the best model for a number of reasons. I'll just give them in no particular order. Uh, one is the groups over time create a brand for themselves. You know, NAZ Elite, we have a really strong, powerful brand. Hanson's has a really strong, powerful brand. The Bowerman Track Club has a really strong, powerful brand, and I could go on. Uh, but when when a shoe company uh, signs an athlete to one of those groups specifically, automatically that athlete's personal brand is going to uh, be amplified in a way that it would not be on its own. Okay, so that's that's one thing um, from a from a purely marketing standpoint. But then from a performance standpoint, the shoe company then can feel confident that you know runner X because he or she is going to Hanson or Hansons or is going to NAZ Elite or is going to Bowerman, going to Zap, whatever it might be. Right, um, that athlete is going to be taken care of. They're going to have 
coaching. They're going to have strength and conditioning. They're going to have uh, proper access to massage therapy. Um, They're going to be taken care of in a very professional way. Um, So I think that sort of knowledge uh, and that sort of, um, you know, that's that sort of consistency in training that you're going to get in a group, not to mention the fact that then your athlete or this athlete is going to be training with other high level people and being, you know, is going to be pushed on a daily basis to be the best they can be. I think all those things and more um, are why it makes total sense for a shoe company to uh, prefer that their athletes be, be in one of these groups. Yeah, I love that. Um, I find it, exciting to follow along with the groups and and particularly the way that some of the groups have handled 2020 with the intra-squad racing and um and racing other teams i think that it provides these unique opportunities where you know for many athletes it probably feels like college right yeah i think i think to an extent i mean it's a it's a much more serious and professional uh, environment <laughs> than college but yeah right. it's, it's it it has that team as, aspect the camaraderie the culture you know i would also say that to your point about watching all these different things and these inter squad things except you can't do those by yourself you know right. the 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 teams are able to provide a much more consistent um level of awareness for their brand partners i mean Take our team, obviously, for example. So currently we have a dozen athletes on the team. Uh, If you go back to 2019, pre-pandemic, right, we're we're racing almost every weekend. Um, And so, yeah, there might be one athlete that's taking a break or a few athletes taking a break or one athlete that's injured or or what have you. But the team is – performing and producing results and creating content on a consistent basis in a way that an individual cannot. Uh, again, the, then moving forward into the pandemic year, you know, it sort of exposed how great the groups really are and how tough it is to build a brand individually because the groups were able to create a lot of really cool, exciting content um, like Jerry's group doing doing a lot of the uh, inter squad meets that that they did. Um, you know, like you mentioned on Instagram, we did we did a virtual race against Lee Troops group in in Boulder, Team Boulder. Uh, we did some inter squad stuff. Then then when the traditional race opportunities were available, we had the budget and the means to get out there and do those things as well. You know, we headed out to LA and competed at the Sunset Tour. And um, there's just a lot of a lot of things that you just flat can't do as an individual that you can when you're when you're part of a group. Definitely. So we talked about why you think the groups are the best model um, for for the athletes. Let's talk about the industry. Um, a lot of the commentary around what was announced yesterday was reflecting on the fact that this is not just impacting your athletes. This is hopefully impacting the way that that sponsors look at teams and look at athletes in general. Like the biggest, the biggest is the health insurance piece and, and the fact that um, it's okay for an athlete to start a family and that's, you know, supported versus, you know, we see what's happened in the past. Um, So talk to me about how you think this can have an impact on the industry and, and all, um, all athletes. Well, as with any industry, particularly the sports industry, you know, every, it's a competitive industry, right? People are trying to one-up one another. People are trying right. to do better. And so, you know, in, in this contract, we were trying to make sure that we were going to provide amenities for our athletes and our future athletes that – we're going to be ultimately better than what's out there right now. Um, you know, and I'm sure someone will try to top that. I mean, that's how it goes, right? So the health insurance piece that you mentioned is interesting because, again, it's part of the advantage of being a group. So Hoka is not providing this health insurance. We, uh, NAZ Elite, is providing this health insurance with the funding that Hoka provides. Um, because as a 501c3 nonprofit, 
we're able to create a group health insurance plan. And our athletes have been on that plan actually now for more than a year, but paying their own uh, individual insurance uh, underneath that plan. Uh, Moving forward, because our funding level will increase so much with this new contract, uh, one of the things as a board of directors that we decided to do was carve out uh, enough money uh, from that lump sum budget that we'll be receiving so that we can actually now pay uh, for the individual health insurance coverage of each of the athletes that chooses to be on that plan. Uh, There's still flexibility, of course, if they wanted to be on their spouse's plan or on a different plan, but but the plan we're on actually is quite good and I think uh, can potentially serve as a model for for other groups that are out there. That's awesome. who proposed the idea of a dramatic increase in sponsorship? Well, Jonathan, I, I don't think anything, <laughs> I don't think anybody would want a, a, a decrease. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think that, you know, as a board, uh, we had been discussing for a while, you know, the fact that this current contract we're in, which is a great contract, by the way, uh, was going to be ending in, at, at the end of 2020. And, um, you know, just naturally, we felt like we had performed really well. Uh, we felt like we had been good brand partners and, and had provided quite a bit of ROI, uh, return on investment for Hoka. And uh, of course, we were going to ask for more. And I think they expected that. And, and it was really a, a, a quite a mutual uh, negotiation. It, it, it was not, I have to say, us uh, creating this proposal and bringing it to them. It was more, uh, NAZ elite and Hoka working on this together back and forth over, over a period of months, getting it to where we really wanted it, uh, which was cool because it was, it was them saying, Hey, we want to give you more, you know, we want to give you guys what you need to, uh, continue thriving. And, and, uh, and it was us saying, great, uh, here's what we need and here's why we need it. And uh, it was just kind of like that again for for a few months until we had all the details uh, squared away. And and uh, I don't mean to make it sound simple, but but that's really what it was like. That's awesome. Um, and so with that, do you plan to bring uh, a larger number of athletes on board? You know, I don't really think it's about a larger number of athletes. I think it's more about providing the athletes that we have with the very best uh, amenities possible to, you know, to put them in a position to succeed. And then as we move forward, um, you know, continuing to raise the bar with the type of athlete that we bring on to the team in the first place. And those athletes, of course, cost more money. So um, I think it's about increasing the amount uh, of money that Hoka is spending on our athletes from a base compensation perspective. But not doing so because they're adding more athletes. It's more just the the level of athlete that we're bringing in. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a natural evolution. Obviously some of the first athletes we had on the team, athletes like Scott Smith and Steph Bruce, who both went to UC Santa Barbara, Steph was all American twice, Scott zero times, you know, Kellen Taylor, one time all American at Wichita state. You know, these are smaller programs. These athletes had less of, uh, a resume coming out of the NCAA. And, and of course, these people have had amazing careers. Scott's run 211. Steph is sixth at the Olympic trials, multiple time national champion. Kellen, of course, 224 marathoner, you know, just ran 3107 for 10,000. These, these are great accomplishments. Uh, sort of the next uh, group of people more recently that we've brought in, they do have better credentials. People like Alice Wright, Rory Linkletter, Matt Baxter, uh, all of those athletes were runner runner up at the at the NCAA level. So you know what we hope to do with them moving forward is bring them to an even higher level than than um, some of our original athletes. Uh, although that won't be easy to do considering uh, how much they've accomplished. And then of course the next step moving forward is is to grab the very very top recruits coming out of the NCAA, people who have run uh, the very fastest times and, and have won national titles. And then let's see what we can do with those folks. That's awesome. Um, Blue Sky, five years from now, what are you guys doing? Well, more of the same, but I think, I think just bigger and better, you know? Um, I hope that people have seen us as a group that's been pretty aggressive and, and maybe revolutionary in, in how we've uh, shared content. And, and we want to continue to be that way. We want to be really aggressive. We want to build our uh, brand through content. We want to 
We have some pretty aggressive goals with what we want to do with our YouTube channel moving forward. Way more videos than ever before. Uh, tons more subscribers. Really consistent content on YouTube. We want to um, continue to give our athletes the opportunity to build their own brands through uh, through podcasts like Matt Baxter, Rory Linkletter, Nick Hogger have done with their Running Rivals podcast and Scott Falbel with his Showrunners podcast. We want to do more of that. Um, we want to be pretty professional and clean in a lot of the things that we produce uh, because we'll have the budget to do that. And I think that's exciting for me. Um, and then performance wise, look, performance wise, it's, that's always number one. Any of these other things I talk about are really fun for me to talk about, but we wouldn't have that opportunity if we weren't performing at a high level. Nobody cares about your YouTube channel if you're not, you know, doing what we've done on the track, on the roads, on the grass, obviously winning the Olympic trials with Alephine, uh this past February was the perfect example, right? So when you ask what we want to be doing five years from now, that's what we want to be doing. We want to be continuing to win big races. Uh, we want to be competing on the national stage and the global stage. We want to turn those Olympic trials victories um, into medals um, at the uh, at the world stage. Uh, that's that's how good we want to be. That's awesome. Um, so it sounds like many of the goals outside of performance and recovery are also social media related. Will you be bringing in more resources um, of the you know human capital variety to to support that? Yes, I think we will. It'll probably be on a contracted out basis. So, which is what we've done before, but I just think the budget will be bigger. Uh, we definitely considered a full time marketing position, but ultimately, when we went down the the list of priorities. We, we felt like there were, again, performance being number one, there were bigger needs to increase the physio budget, the travel budget, um, uh, the assistant coaching role is going to become a full-time role, uh, which will be a big change for us. Uh, we, we felt like those sort of things would would be more important than a full-time marketing position. However, uh, it's not to say that the marketing budget hasn't increased. It certainly has, and you can call it marketing or you can call it content creation, but we will be able to uh, work with, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, people like Stephen Kirsch and Ryan Sterner, who we've worked mm -hmm. with many times from rabbit wolf creative, we'll be able to do more things with them. And so, um, so that is definitely a part of the plan. That's awesome. Um, what is it like switching gears a little bit? What, what has it been like to navigate 2020 with now the, the, you know, the restrictions that were in place that may have changed while also having some of your athletes, you know, PRing and setting lifetime PRs. Are you asking how we did that or, or just to take you through yeah, it? Yeah. What's what's been the the approach to 2020 in general? I think uh, I think it's been it's been fascinating to see how the different groups have handled it. I I had um, Shalane Flanagan on the podcast back in March, and her approach to or or their approach at Bowerman was essentially we're going to run a bunch of miles and we're not going to do you know crazy hard workouts. We're just going to she called it stuff the silo. Uh, and that was the approach March, April, maybe into May before things changed a little bit. Um, was it was it similar? Was it, you know, a dramatic scale back, particularly for the athletes that had just run in the trials? I think a lot of it was analyzing where where we were at at the time in terms of this virus, you know, um, like anybody, we weren't different than any other industry. Um, in the sense that, look, we had to kind of step back and say, Whoa, this thing is for real. You know, we need to be really careful, uh, when, when there was so much uncertainty. And so, you know, we shut down practicing together for six weeks. We trained on our own uh, during those six weeks. Obviously I was trying to put on my critical thinking cap and, and, analyze what was going on and try to determine what was the best um, strategy moving forward. Once we got into, I guess it was May and the stay at home order got lifted and it became a little bit more clear what we were dealing with here and, and how you could keep yourself safe. Um, then we felt better about training together. And, and then we met as a group and I said, look, 
I'll tell you what we said is I, I want to play offense, you know, uh, during this thing. I want to get aggressive with training. I want to get as fit as we can. I want to create opportunities for ourselves. If, if traditional opportunities aren't there, then look, we've got to play offense. We've got to create the opportunities ourselves. And and we did that. You know, we did those things. We did train hard. We did get really fit. We did things like uh, some team tri- time trials, some inter-squad meets. And I mean, I, I was very proud of the team. You know, they, they really took to that and they they, they kept their foot on the pedal. They didn't feel sorry for themselves. They didn't wallow in self-pity about not having the trials and not having these, these races that they're used to running. They just got after it, you know, and we had fun and we tried some different things in training. And, uh, I, I think for the most part, if, if, if playing offense is the metaphor that I was using, then I would say we scored big time. That's awesome. Yeah. I loved watching the, the, um, that race against Boulder Track Club where your route took a gnarly turn up that last uh, uh, yeah. hill in Buffalo Park. That was uh <laughs> that was a little cruel, but uh fun fun to see. Yeah, I think I think it's uh it's it's been fascinating to watch how everybody has handled it. And um obviously there are no rules, so you can <laughs> sort of make make your own rules and and see how you know see how it turns out. Um did you have any athletes, and you don't have to name names, but were there any athletes that that were dealing with a lack of motivation? I'm sure there were at times. Uh, you know, I'm certainly speaking more collectively uh, about mm-hmm. what we did. Uh, a couple of the athletes, of course, that had injuries during this time, which there were a couple. Uh, you know, I think they struggled at times, which is natural. Um, and I tried to just cut them some slack and just remind them that, look, you know, um, this sucks. <laughs> you know, you don't want to mm-hmm. sugarcoat it. You want to be honest right. with them. Uh, but better times are ahead, you know. Um, and, and I think that's all you can do is just be really honest and, and, and pragmatic about it. And uh, I, I think even though there were some some folks who, who did have a difficult few weeks here and there or a difficult, a difficult month, uh, I think that everybody's come out of it pretty good. That's awesome. What do you love most about coaching? I think I've come to love, well, let's see. I love the big moments. <laughs> I love the mm-hmm. big moments. I'm, I'm definitely a sports guy. So, you know, there's, to me, there's nothing like the, the Olympic trials or the big city marathons or the national championships. Uh, you know, I very much live for those moments. And um, like the athletes, I understand that I've got to put in a ton of work uh, on the back end to get to those moments and to make those moments everything they can be. And so I've sort of just embraced um, that idea that, um, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, be able to perform or if we're going to perform on the absolute biggest stage as best we can, um, we've got to work really hard and I'm no exception. And I've, I've learned to really enjoy the the grind that, that it takes to get there. Uh, and I just love seeing them accomplish these things. You know, it's, I was looking through pictures yesterday, trying to uh, create a little Instagram uh, post about, the news of the contract, uh, on my own Instagram page. And just looking, I was looking for pictures of myself with the athletes and I saw a picture and posted it of me with Rory and Alephine after they set the team records for the half marathon. And of course with Alephine after the trials and with Scott Fallwood, Boston and man, those are just forever moments. So that's, that's what I live for. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool to see um, you know these successes on on the biggest stages, and it must have been quite a moment down in Atlanta, uh, what feels like you know a million years ago. It was a great moment. Yeah that that uh, that whole day is a day that I will never forget. I try to really uh, I try to really hold on to even the little moments of that day. Obviously you know, everybody's going to remember Alephine coming down the stretch. And I, I certainly remember sprinting over there and <laughs> I saw her with a half mile to go. I didn't see her actually cross the line, but, you know, sprinting over there and finally seeing her in the, in the tent afterward and giving her a big hug. Of course, I remember those moments, but I also remember screaming at Steph, you know, and watching her just dig so deep, um, you know, 
seeing Kellen point to her leg and realizing that, you know, the injury that she had that turned out to be a stress fracture was, was, uh, you know, rearing its ugly head and it was a very sad moment, but I remember that moment too. And the, those things, even though they're, um, they're not the best, they still are really vivid, you know, to me that from that day, same thing with Scott and Scott, you know, um, they didn't make the team and that, that was devastating, uh, in a lot of ways, but it was, it was just such pure emotion. So, so raw, uh, cause we had worked so hard together. And so I, I don't want to forget any of those things. I want to remember everything about that day, uh, because it was in a lot of ways, the culmination of not just 12 weeks of work, but, um, you know, six years. For sure. Thanks again to John G for sponsoring this episode. As a runner, you know the importance of hydration, but you might not know that almost 800 million people lack access to drinking water. By working together, we can create viable solutions and collectively we can have a greater impact. The John G Collective is one way to do that. It's a membership that earns you a ton of perks like discounts on gear and first access to new collections. It's also a community of adventurous runners around the world. 100% of the membership fee goes towards supporting clean water programs. I'm a member and enjoy knowing that it is a small step that each of us can take that when pooled together can have quite an impact. It's also great knowing that once the world reopens, I'll have runners in almost every city to enjoy a run with when I'm on the road in a new place. If you use the code FTLR, like for the long run, you can join the John G Collective for $50. You'll receive a free singlet as well as a special members-only discount for life. Every dollar from that will go towards supporting clean water programs. I hope you'll join me. What's been your biggest lesson uh, that you've personally learned this year? I know a lot of us are learning and doing things in ways we've never done before. And so I'm curious, um, what what have you learned? I was just talking about this the other day. I do think I've learned some things about myself that I probably already knew, but maybe hadn't thought about uh, in, mm-hmm. a, in a deep way. So for example, today, um, so this was supposed to be a week off for me. I was supposed to take close to two weeks off after the event we put on in Santa Barbara last Tuesday, which was an inter-squad meet where we ran a men's race and a women's race and went, went really well. And I was kind of crashed afterward, like I usually am after, after uh, something big. And I thought that I needed all this time off, but by the end of the weekend, I was feeling depressed and really not having a good time <laughs> at all. And so um, I decided on a whim to come down here to Sedona, Arizona, uh, and just uh, get an Airbnb. Uh, my wife and daughter are going to join me this weekend, but I'm just here by myself and I'm working, <laughs> but I'm not forcing it. There's nothing I have to be doing. I'm just doing things that I'm really enjoying. I'm working on a couple side projects and uh, and I'm going for hikes and runs and um probably after this podcast, I'm going to go for another little jog this afternoon and, and I'm enjoying myself, but I, I've kind of come to realize that I really enjoy work. And so, uh, for me, it's very healthy to, to be working. Uh, and I think I learned a lot about what a break needs to be for, for me. And, uh, the week that I'm experiencing here is hopefully going to be a good model for me moving forward. It's, it's a really healthy way for me to spend a break. That's awesome. Um, I have so many questions because I'm I'm the exact same way. I I can't take time off because, like you said, I get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how have you structured it so that it's both restorative and you know productive and and keep and keeps you happy? Well, yeah, I can answer this. I mean, I'm living it right now. So so <laughs> I'm uh, no planning. No planning is the answer. You know, I'm just trying to let the body drive the ship, which I tell the athletes all the time uh, on certain workouts. You know, hey, if it's a fartlek workout, let's let the body drive the ship. Or some of the veterans, if they're doing a long steady state, hey, let's not be so locked into the time today. Let's let the body drive the ship. And so that's what I'm doing this week uh, in terms of work. I'm waking up. Um, the only thing I'm really forcing myself to do is get out the door and do a little exercise <laughs> because mm-hmm. um, I need to do that. But then, uh, then when I come back, uh, you know, if I feel like watching a movie, I watch a movie. Uh, and when I when I get the um, when I get the urge to work, then I work. Um, and for example, right before this podcast, I, I finished up a chapter of a book I'm working on, and I feel pretty confident that this was a good day, and I'll do this podcast, and I'll probably be done for the day. So that's, uh, that's for me, that's a great way to spend, um, the day. And 
Um, I, I made sure that there was nothing really pertinent that I have to get done. So all of these things are things that I'm choosing to do. That's awesome. Um, along the lines of, uh, you mentioned movies. We had a question from Chris Heisler, who you may know as well. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Coach Ben is an underrated movie quote connoisseur. I would love to know what quote or quotes he most often references when talking to the athletes. <laughs> oh, geez. I don't know that I um, knowingly or consciously reference a lot of them when talking to the athletes. I've certainly used quotes in presentations or meetings, I guess, with the athletes over the years. Um Oh, here's one that I, <laughs> it's not necessarily that I said this. I just, I just thought of it at the time and loved it. And I think it applies sometimes to, to competitive athletes and people. I love Goodwill Hunting. That's my favorite movie. And there's this part in the movie. I love how, um, I love the juxtaposition of, of how, uh, Will Hunting, the character is so confident in some things, but so vulnerable in other ways. But one of his confident moments was he was doing the equations with Dr. Lambeau in the uh, MIT office room or whatever it was. And he got angry and uh, he set fire to one of the pieces of the paper, pieces of paper that had all the all the answers on it. Uh, and Lambeau was going crazy trying to trying to blow out the fire and, and get it. And Damon or Will Hunting was um he was kind of uh, disgusted with the whole thing because he said something to the effect of, do you know how easy this shit is for me? And, uh, <laughs> and it was, it was just so confident. And, and um, I remember one time in a workout, Marty Heher, who used to run for us, but then went to med school and now he runs for the Reebok Boston track club um, uh, with coach Fox, Chris Fox. But um, Marty's an awesome dude. And he's this guy who similar to Will Hunting in the sense that, he can be super confident and competitive and fiery, but but in his regular life, he's just the most chill dude ever, and you know never curses, and he's just he just family man, you know, etc. Um, but I remember this one workout where we were doing four by eight hundred, and it was pretty hard. Was supposed to go like two twelve, two oh eight, two oh four, two flat on fairly short rest, and um, he got out a little quick on one of the repeats. Maybe it was the two oh eight. And Craig Lutz, uh, Craig Lutz, one of the, one of the guys that was doing the workout got angry because I think Craig was really worried about the workout and didn't want to go too fast and didn't want to, um, you know, he didn't want to put himself or the others in a hole. So he got mad at Marty for going out too fast. And Marty was just on his game that day and basically said something to Craig, like, you just want me to lead the whole thing. I'll just lead the rest of the workout. If you want, that's fine. I can, <laughs> I'll just do that. And he was so angry at him. And I mean, he was yelling and it was so cool in a way because it was Marty just kind of saying, you know how easy this shit is for me. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it. That's awesome. Uh, switching gears from Cambridge, Massachusetts, back to uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Tommy Rivs Pusey mm -hmm. and what he means to the community out there. And uh, it's been incredible to see the the rallying and the support that's gone on um, within Flagstaff, but um, not just within Flagstaff, but everywhere in general. So talk to me about about his relationship with Naz and um, and what what he means to to your team. So Rivers is just one of these guys, first of all, he's a total renaissance man. If, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you've come across this story by now, but I'll just give you the nutshell version. First of all, he has cancer. He has a really rare form of lung cancer, which is um, what what uh, you're talking about in terms of the community rallying around him. Uh, but he's this amazing guy who's a marathoner, an ultra marathoner, a triathlete, um, um, an adventurist, uh, uh, a model. Uh, he's uh, a massage therapist. He's a physical therapist. He's uh, knows a bunch of languages. He's lived in Hawaii. He's, I mean, he's just, he's, he's super, super unique. And in Flagstaff, I think he's one of these guys that pretty much everybody knows but not that many people know him well. And that, that's the, that's the category I would put myself in. I certainly know him. I've certainly, um, uh, hung around him and had a ton of experiences with him, but, but I don't claim to, you know, know him terribly well, um, because he's just doing so many things. Um, and, uh, and yet I'm mesmerized by him. He's this super interesting guy. So 
his relationship with us is mostly that, um, you know, over the years he's, he's been, a on and off kind of training partner, jumping in a workout here and there. Um, you know, we'll see him at the bagel run on Thursday mornings, which is kind of a community run. Uh, and what he's, what he's really done over the last couple of years is been really open to helping out our women because, you know, though he's a great runner, he's not, you know, on the level of our, of our men. Uh, but he's not that far away from, from where our women are. You know, I think he's run a 218 marathon. Kellen's run 224. So he's, he's pretty close and, and, uh, he's really good at, uh, at pacing them and he's always happy to do it. And if, if, if I'm in need of a pacer, I can text him on a Friday and he'll be there on Saturday morning, you know, regardless of what he did. Uh, and he never takes any money for it. He never takes, um, never takes any credit for it. He just, he's just happy to help others. And I think that's why people love him so much. Um, just really quickly, uh, a quick story um, at uh, the Prague Marathon when Kellen uh, was running there in, in 2019 in May, he was there to try to get his trials qualifier um, as well. And he knew that Kellen was having a little bit of a leg issue going into the race. And so he offered to do some work on her in the couple days leading into the race and ended up seeing her a ton uh, over those last two days, worked on her a bunch. Cause as I said, he's a, he's a massage therapist and a PT didn't take any money for it. Wouldn't uh, then the next uh, day in the race or on Sunday morning, um, he's racing. He ends up having kind of a bad race, uh, starts falling off uh, his, his goal time. She comes by with about 10 miles to go and catches up to him. And look, I mean, I'm sure he was in no mood to really move very fast at that point. And yet he kind of got a second wind and ended up running uh, with her for most of the next 10 miles, um, you know, and essentially helping her out. And, and she ended up getting fourth place. And, you know, that's just the kind of guy he is. I think so many people in that situation would have just dropped out or said, good luck and, and sent her on her way uh, or guys with egos would have tried to kind of pull away from her, you know, but, uh, but he just, he doesn't, he's just not like that. His first thought is of others. And, and that's why he's so cool. Yeah. I think that, that that's an incredible story, uh, all of it. Um, but I think it, it highlights the power of, of a, the team and what we got to talking about initially where, you know, you think that this is, the best approach. And I agree because when, when the goal is more than just yourself, you can do some, some pretty incredible things. Yeah. That's what we've always believed. And, and that's what we've created is this, what we call a we culture, W E capital W capital E, um, where you believe that you're better because of your teammates and you believe it's part of your responsibility to make them better. Um, on days when you feel the best, then you you take the load uh, because you know that there's going to be a day where you don't feel great and somebody's going to take the load for you. Um, and when you put on that jersey, yeah, you're running for yourself, but you're also running for them uh, and all the all the people that believe in you. So uh, in, in every way, I think that uh, the team culture that we've created here has contributed greatly to our success. That's awesome. Uh, switching gears again a little bit, um, another question was with contracts becoming more expensive for companies, and I mean that sort of at, like as a line item, like the line item is larger. Mm -hmm. Do you think there will be a decrease in signed athletes as the time goes on? And will there be less, do you think there'll be less opportunities for the semi-pros to make it on the, on the competitive scene? Hmm. Um, it's an interesting question. I don't really know exactly what that means. I mean, semi-pros are never going to make it. I mean, that's the definition of a semi-pro. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think there's always going to be a place for tiers. You know, you've got your pros who are making a living. Then you've got your semi-pros who are making a semi-living. <laughs> That's the definition, right? They're making some money, but not enough to have it be a living. And then there's the top amateurs, right? And the top amateurs push the semi-pros and the semi-pros push the pros. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that the group model is, um, is going to be hurting the sub elites in any way. In, in fact, I, I could see a situation where, uh, much like there's 
more professional groups now. I would like to believe that um, that that also gives a model for the for more semi elite, semi pro kind of groups as well to kind of model themselves after that in their own community. I, I, we kind of did that in St. Louis um, when I owned Big River Running Company, the running store there. Uh, we had sort of a sub elite group, and we we modeled it and, and ran it kind of like I run this group now, where you know we trained together and we uh, pushed each other and we sort of became quote unquote stars in the St. Louis running community, you know, winning, winning most of the big local races. And, um, I, I think those, and look, more people are running than ever. And the sport was as popular as ever when the pandemic hit. And I think it'll see a big boom when things come back. And I, I, I would look at it optimist optimistically i I think there's going to be more opportunities for for semi-pros than ever before because uh, the sport is going to be really healthy when it comes back cool uh i i would agree with that um one of the conversations i've been having with a handful of uh friends who are also professional athletes is around the sponsorship model um and how from where i sit being on the brand side i've seen a bit of a shift away from uh, i say a bit of a shift a, a large shift away from um results driven um decisions so it doesn't just it doesn't just matter that you're at the top of the podium it matters that you're engaging with your fans doing what your team is doing and and caring about the community um and so i've spoken with a handful of of my friends on this who are you know signed by shoe companies or have apparel sponsors or whatnot and they are they are wondering the same thing. So our my question to you as somebody who's on that side and seeing the negotiations and seeing both athletes who you know need to achieve results but also need to engage with their fans, would you agree with that assessment that it that it is moving away from just being, you know, if you're an excellent athlete, you'll get a contract and and moving in a way where you know, you do really need to be engaging with your fans? I think there are parts of that I agree with and parts of that I disagree with. Um, look, <laughs> like I said, I think a little bit earlier, you still have to perform. I mean, nobody's right. going to pay. Oh, gosh, I don't want to put a time out there because then I'll be, uh, I'll be, <laughs> um, that, that'll be mean. Um, n- nobody's going to pay top dollar for a, for a mediocre runner who's not performing at a high level, even if that runner is really active on social media, really active in his or her community, et cetera. That doesn't mean they can't get a sponsorship. That doesn't mean they can't get some money. That doesn't mean they can't um, scrape by. All those things are possible. And to your point, I agree with you 100% that those things are valuable in in a way that they never were before. So, so certainly there's possibilities there that, that, that used to uh, not be there. However, if you, if you want to talk about really making real money and making a living, you, you've got to be one of the top athletes. Now, here's the thing though, here's the shift, right? The top athletes are going to get paid more if they also are really good at all that other stuff. Yeah. Okay. So like take a, take an athlete like Alephine on our team, right? So not only did she win the Olympic trials, but she's won the six months since, right? She's been crushing <laughs> it between the beanies and her social media, yeah. which is hilarious and shows her personality and shows how caring <laughs> she is and her, and the consistency that she has on, on social media. Um, she's way more valuable to Hoka than she would be if she had only won the Olympic trials. Does that make sense? So that that's where yeah. I see it is I, I see um, I see performance still as being number one, but I see um, that if you really want to get paid on top of that, you have to also be good at the other things. So that's it's kind of a long long winded answer and a, a little bit there was a little bit of rambling in there, but I, but I hope I made a couple of points um, because I think the answer to that question is is a little bit nuanced. Definitely. Does that play into any of the recruiting that you do? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, at this point, we've realized uh, after so many years that y- you have to be into that side of it. You have to agree with the concept that being a brand ambassador in 2020 is different as an athlete uh, than it was in, in, in 2000 or 1990. And, and being active on social media, 
consciously trying to create a brand and uh, promote yourself and the team to the running community at large is part of the job. And so if you don't believe that and you don't want to do that, then you're just not going to be a fit. And and honestly, you're probably not going to run as well as you could because you're just not going to enjoy it because it's part of what we do. So yeah, it actually makes my job easier because it's, um, it, it makes it uh, easier to whittle down the the pool of athletes to the folks that we know are going to be a fit for us. That's awesome. Um, maybe one, one more question. And again, switching gears a little bit, but by, by the way, I just what, wanted to add, that's totally okay. <laughs> I'm not ripping those people. Like if you, if, right. if, if you're an athlete and you're saying, Oh, forget this guy, you know, I think that stuff's stupid. That's totally cool. Like no problem. It just means you're not right for us. You know, it doesn't yeah. mean you, well, that's the thing. That's there, all it there means. So, there are so many athletes that just put their head down and they work and that's it. And that's their, you know, they don't care about communicating with fans and they don't care about, um, you know, that's not them. They're, they're in it in tr- for intrinsic. They have intrinsic motivation. They want to get the best out of their legs and performance and whatnot. And it's just a different vibe. And that's um, totally cool. Think, and, and, and I have yeah. no problem with that. I just, I just wanted to say that because, um, I, I, I really believe that. And, 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 and honestly, from a pragmatic standpoint, the only thing they probably need to realize is that a, they're going to need to perform really, really well. Um, <laughs> and B, they are leaving money on the table because in this day and age, you will get paid more if on top of those performances, as we said earlier, you're also, uh, engaging and participating in social media, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if that, extra money doesn't matter to you. It's not worth it to you. Totally cool. I mean, you see that in every sport, right? So, um, no problem. Definitely. Um, one of the things that we talked about in our first conversation, um, you were, you very, very, very candidly said, um, if running is the only thing that you have, I feel bad for you. Um, we were talking about balance and having, um, having, passions and pursuits outside of outside of running i think that 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 point you made i believe it was january of 2018 is is you know more useful than ever before in today's day and age where there is so much going on and we do need some of these other things to balance out life um so my question is um what what sort of guidance do you have for an amateur who might be struggling with that type of balance? Oh, geez, yeah, I, I think that um, it is a tough time. You know, it is a tough time, and and uh, I hadn't thought about that till, till you asked this question because you know I know plenty of amateur a- athletes uh, from back in the day that I'm sure are struggling because running is a huge huge part of their lives and and they don't have the opportunity to race you know there's no there's no pop up sunset tour for them <laughs> you know um the road races are they've all been canceled and um looks like they're going to remain canceled for for the fall at least um so i i i think um geez you know i i, I think first of all even though i said that and I don't take it back. I, I don't mean to say that um, – I don't mean to trivialize their running and, and what it means to them. I think that you know, I, I would certainly advise from a running standpoint that they play offense, You know that they, that they um, figure out a way, if, if running is their passion, to um, set goals and, and create a, a sense of normalcy in their running um, – whether it's, you know, circling a date on the calendar and saying, Hey, I'm going to get my buddies together and do a time trial on October 28th. Um, or, you know, we're going to, we're going to run a marathon around our park on November 20th, you know, things like that, I think are good. And, and those creating certainty in a world of uncertainty is good for one's mental health. Um, in my experience, uh, regarding finding something else besides running, you know, I think it's, yeah, like you say, it's probably as important, if not more so now than ever. But, you know, that 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 can be any number of things. It doesn't have to be something grandiose. It could be as simple as <laughs> Alephine crocheting, right, mm-hmm. uh, which she's turned into a crazy big business. But um, <laughs> uh, it could be it, it could be super trivial stuff like um, 
hey, maybe you're 40 like me and you used to love the NBA in the 90s and you've gotten away from it and maybe you get back into it now, right? Um, maybe it's golf, maybe it's tennis, uh, sports that you can play um, and not have to worry about the virus, right? Uh, they, they've been deemed deemed safe. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it is some community-related stuff. Maybe you do find a way to give back to others during this time uh, when there are so many in need. Uh, you know, I can tell you... Uh, helping out with that run with Riv's uh, fundraiser that was really Vince Sherry's idea and Mike Smith's idea. I, I was just helping. Um, th- that was extremely gratifying. You know, it's, it's really um, selfishly it's, it's, it feels good to help people, you know? So maybe that's a, a road you can go down. I, I would just say to be open-minded and try other things and, and who knows, maybe, maybe in a weird way that can end up helping your running in the long term. Definitely. You said a couple of things there that um, really resonated, uh, particularly creating certainty in a world of uncertainty and establishing some sense of normalcy. Um, I came back from an injury, um, also a tibia injury from January, and I didn't run from January till basically the beginning of March. And as I was getting back into running and doing 20 minute runs, you know, with run walk and then 20 minute run runs and 30 minute runs and 40 minute runs. Um, that was the best part of my day. And it was, you know, I I was living by myself in a fourth floor walk up in Alston, sorry, in, in Boston. And I didn't feel safe anywhere, you know, outside of that door, except for when I was running. Mm -hmm. And, and I think finding finding a way to allow running to be this, it, it can be a rock, but you have to be careful because it can get taken away at any moment. Um, and for me, it was, it was between that and the podcast and I guess work, but really between, you know, those 20 minute runs and, you know, an hour podcast on a daily basis, that was the only certainty that I had in that, in that world of uncertainty. And so I think that it's super, super cool to be able to frame it in that way. Um, you know, creating certainty, you have control over this one thing. You can choose to put on your shoes and get out the door and do something that is for you that will allow you to feel better. Um, I think that's awesome. And then your point on it feels good to help people. Yeah. Volunteering is incredible. All of that good stuff. Um, so I think, you know, there are so many opportunities where we can help other people again in today's day and age, but also, um, in general, I think all that advice is, uh, is really awesome. Well, thanks. I try. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, so thanks so much for for coming back on and and sharing your wisdom. It's been uh, it's been awesome uh, catching up and and hearing about everything that's going on. I appreciate it, Jonathan. You got a great podcast, and uh, it was an honor to be on. And hey, maybe I'll be on in another hundred episodes. <laughs> Sounds good. You could be Mister Three Hundred. There you go. Sounds good to me. <laughs> or Two Hundred. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, thanks man. man. See you. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.